Welcome to a special Big Ten Championship edition of MGO Radio. Michigan is, of course, coming off a 45-23 win over the Ohio State Buckeyes and plays Purdue tomorrow night in, uh, I think we're calling it Ticket IQ Stadium today this week. Yes. <laughs> I'm Brian Cook. Seth Fisher. Alex Strain. And Michigan's opponent in the Big Ten Championship game is Purdue. Eight and four, currently ranked 47th in SP+. Uh, a kind of team that just does not usually show up in a conference championship game. But with the cluster in the West this year, they managed to be the last team to not blow it. Illinois blew it, and then Iowa blew it, and it was really hard for Purdue to blow it against Northwestern and Indiana, and so they don't. And um, <clears throat> I don't know, as I was going over all the Purdue stuff, I think the thing that stuck out to me is when Alex previewed their defense, and he was like, these guys are definitely here. <laughs> they are present. They exist. I have very little to say about all of them. And then, of course, he said an awful lot about them. But it just kind of feels like this Purdue, it's not like a Rondale Moore team. It's not a team that has George Karlaftis or Ryan Kerrigan or one of the random first-round defensive ends they usually have. Their star player <clears throat> is a transfer from Iowa who's a wide receiver. It's just kind of a, a, a team without a whole lot of star power. But they remain Purdue, and so they do Purdue things. And I guess we'll start with the most Purdue thing, which is their passing offense. Yeah, the passing game isn't isn't bad at all. They have a, a solid quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. He was a walk-on himself. Both the quarterback and the running back are ex-walk-ons, which is kind of interesting. But, you know, he lacks NFL traits in mobility and arm strength and accuracy. He can waver a little bit, but he knows how to read a defense decently well. And the ball is generally in the vicinity of the receiver most of the time. And, you know, they run the air raid, so he has to pass a lot. And that uh, the fact they've had a decent offense despite that, uh, you know, is a, is a good testament to him. He's won a number of games as their starter, second year starter. They won nine games a year ago, eight games this year. And for a Purdue program, that's pretty good given their historical standard over the last 20 years. So uh, O'Connell's a pretty good player, but there are some limitations there. Um, they give him a couple weapons. Charlie Jones is not Marvin Harrison Jr., but he's still a very talented player who does things in other ways. He doesn't have that size or leaping ability. He's not uh, going to kind of tear down the seam and, and you're in trouble from a speed standpoint. He just knows how to get open. Right? He, he runs clean routes. He knows how to get free from a defense and find himself in positions to catch the ball. And as a result, he has 12 touchdowns this season, which ties Harrison uh, for the most in the Big Ten by a receiver. I think he's number one in yardage as well. So he that's the guy. 97 catches yeah. and over 1,100 yards. By himself, he outgained the Iowa wide receiver core by almost 500 yards. Good transfer. Good transfer. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. Uh, he's taking advantage of this system. And then uh, besides him, there's Payne Durham, tight end for Purdue. He was second team all Big Ten in the uh, media voting this week behind uh, Laporta from Iowa, so pretty good player. Not a not a great blocker, uh, particularly, and he's not uh, Noah Fant in waiting, right? This isn't an NFL speed uh, demon or something like that. He's just kind of a traditional big tight end who can go up and post up over the middle for six or eight yards. He's kind of one of their third down safety valves. This is a team a lot like Ohio State where they do not trust the ability to run the ball, which we'll get into in a second. So when they're in fourth and two, third and three, 
they're going to be throwing, and they're probably throwing at Durham. Durham or Jones. Like those are the two guys they trust, but Durham's size as a tight end allows him to to be a really good check down option for O'Connell. And everything else in the passing game is mostly just guys. I mean, they have TJ Sheffield, he's okay. Uh Tyrone Tracy came with Charlie Jones from uh Iowa. He's fine. Uh they have a, a several other names. They do go with two tight ends here and there. Um but the second one isn't worth noting. Paul Piferi, I think is his name, but he only has a few catches. So it's it's really just two guys you got to pay attention to. One outside receiver and, and one tight end. Do they throw to Maccabee now? Because I that was the 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 way that they ran their offense before, it used to be like that was the first read, was the throw the running back out of the backfield. But I looked at his stats and it hasn't been the great I haven't been able to watch Purdue very much, so now they throw to him a little bit, but but not a whole lot. Um, he's definitely not one of their top options in the passing game. Yeah, yeah and they they do suffer from a, a certain lack of explosives, so they're they're throw the ball a ton. Um, so you got to take their explosive numbers like or as more of a rate than just a raw number. But they're like there's a huge drop off in their ability to get thirty yards versus forty yards. So this is not a receiving core that is going to punish you for long touchdowns. They'll get chunks. They'll get solid chunks quite a bit, but they're not going to absolutely rip you a la Cornelius Johnson last week. Am I only saying this so that I can bring up Cornelius Johnson last week? Maybe. <laughs> take, take but your, it's what I've done. Take your lap. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to say that part of that explosive factor, and this will apply as we get into the running game, is they just lack talent on this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball, right? You got to walk on quarterback. You got to walk on running back. I think Charlie Jones was a two-star once upon a time. Um, he played at Buffalo. Then he went to Iowa. Then he went to Purdue. I mean, this is... They just don't have a lot of players. I mean, you think about Rondale Moore in the previous years and um, Bell, David Bell. Yeah. David Bell. Yeah, he was like a borderline five-star. They don't have that this year. These are not athletes <laughs> in the in the Ohio State sense. So that's kind of one of their issues here. And their pass protection is, I would say, solid is the term that you'd want to use. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, this is a quick strike offense, right? They're not hitting those big plays. They want to get it out quick. They want to throw it a lot. Um, I think it'll be a lot like when we played Illinois, right? And and they're going to set up to try and not have the quarterback drop back for long times in the pocket deliberately. That's their style. Well, you put a 6'4", 285 guy at left tackle. Is that? I, I mean, that doesn't sound ideal. <laughs> Hey, they're they're trained to pass block. They can do fine. Um, it's It's the run blocking that's the Achilles heel for this line. Well, so let's get into that. They uh, unearth a freshman walk-on running back, Devin Mockaby, uh, after the Penn State game to open the year where Mockaby gets no carries and uh, Purdue's trying to close this game out, and they can't run the clock to save their lives, and they're up three or four points. I forget which. And so I think Sean Clifford gets three cracks at winning the game, and on the third one he actually goes and does it. So <clears throat> Mockaby starts getting into the lineup and his production is actually fairly impressive. Statistically, he's averaging 5.2 yards a carry and he didn't like load up on cupcake carries. He's been playing the big Ten West, which has a number of tough defenses, but then you go and you look at pretty much any drill down stat you would care to look at. Um, and Purdue's numbers are horrible. We keep talking about line yards from football outsiders there and the triple digits there. And the rest of those drill down stats are basically in the same area. And so 
you look at a Purdue team that is probably going to be tasked with running against a pretty light box from Michigan, and it just doesn't seem like their guys are going to be able to do much, even if they get to double one or two of Michigan's defensive tackles. Yeah, they don't get much push at all. And so Maccabee has to bounce a lot of the time. They have to attack outside the tackles a lot of the time. You know, we when we talked about Nebraska a few weeks back and we were discussing those defensive tackles and I shared their, their running stats from Purdue against Nebraska in that game. They did very well against Nebraska's rushing game, and yet they were really not moving those <laughs> defensive tackles who uh, we regarded as, as very poor. They did most of their damage uh, running to the edges, and that's kind of their formula. Now, Maccabee walk-on does not have breakaway explosive speed, so it'll be interesting to see him against some of Michigan's athletes on the perimeter, but I really like Maccabee. I mean, what he lacks in in sort of the natural athletic uh, talent he has in in vision and heart. He runs really hard. He powers through contact. He knows how to run to pick up yards. I like him a lot. Uh, He's not a bad player whatsoever, despite uh, the athleticism part. And it's it's worth wondering where they would be without him in the rushing game because he does not get much help. Yeah, and... The explosion issues are the same here. They're dead last in 20-yard runs in the conference. So, And they'd be dead last in 30-yard runs if Northwestern hadn't put up a bagel this year. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, they're, I mean, they're air raid, right? Which means they're going to run a lot of mesh. And Michigan has historically done well against teams that, like, dabble in mesh. Because, like, if they catch you, Michigan's got all sorts of guys that drop. Right, so they'll drop Jalen Harrell. They'll drop Mike Morris. They don't care. They'll drop a defensive tackle into the middle of your mesh. Right, so it they make it hard to read because you don't know where that guy is coming. And I imagine that's going to be a lot of the. And if they they get any running on Michigan, I kind of feel like Michigan hasn't really given it up on the edges. I don't think they got the strength to really push them out of the way, especially if Mike Morris plays this week. So my guess is it'd be like you know catching tackles, dropping out, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I it's going to be a situation where I really find it hard to believe that Purdue's going to move the ball on the ground much at all. And then Michigan's probably just going to go into this with a very similar game plan that they had against Ohio State where it's like, all right, we're going to put a safety over the top of Charlie Jones so that whoever's covering him can get pretty aggressive. And if you can beat us with other guys, go ahead, right? I mean, obviously it's a little bit harder than that to shut down Jones, otherwise he wouldn't have 97 catches this year. But it feels like this offense is just sort of like a poor man's Ohio State, perhaps a very, very poor man's Ohio <laughs> State. But it's a it's a finesse team that doesn't want to run on third and short and tosses the ball around, and they got one receiver who you really got to respect, and then you, they've got a second guy, and it's Igbuka for Ohio State, and it's Payne Durham for for Purdue. So that's a little bit different, but you know, sort of philosophically, stylistically, they're pretty similar. Yeah, that they're pretty similar teams. It's just a massive, massive gap in terms of of talent level and and the level of athletes on these two teams, and that kind of makes up the the difference here. Uh, one thing I do want to point out before we move on: uh, O'Connell kind of like C.J. Stroud, not much of a runner. That's not a, a threat generally. Michigan has to be watching out for. However, uh, Purdue played Illinois a few weeks back. That was a game I did, and uh, it was for the Big Ten West, more or less. It was the kind of deciding game. And they threw out the option a couple times in that game uh, with O'Connell pitching to Maccabee. And that's something to watch out for, I guess, is what I would say. I think that they might try that against a Michigan team that's probably going to be hammering them inside the tackles. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it's a thing where I think Michigan is going to give up some yards here and there just because their zone is going to get cracked from time to time. But can Purdue turn that into touchdowns? Seems like that's going to be in, in question. Uh, other side of the ball, Purdue defense. Uh, Michigan obviously does not have Blake Corum. Uh, Donovan Edwards is banged up, but capable of running for long distances if he gets a crease. And the Purdue defense, I think we should start with the passing defense, which is probably very bad and probably disguised by the fact that there were some really bad quarterbacks in the Big Ten West this year. But you go and you look at their stats, and they gave up chunks to everybody. They One of the worst teams in the Big Ten in giving up explosive passes. They gave up explosives to Iowa and Wisconsin. I mean, those are those are games where they're putting up eight, nine yards a pass, and they're completing 50% of their passes. So their numbers are superficially okay in some regards. Like if you look at like EPA per play, they're in the 30s, which is pretty good. But if you look at the context there, they might be very, very bad. Yeah, the interesting thing with Purdue, and I have a little bit of a hunch about this, that all the S, uh, the SP plus defensive ratings are probably spiked in the West a little bit because of the offenses that they play. I went into this expecting their defensive ratings to be a lot lower than they were just from having watched them from afar. They play a pretty soft zone. Um, they don't blitz a lot. They don't have a kind of every down pass rusher. They rotate edges, but it doesn't get home all the time. It's really one of those games where the quarterback just has to pick his spots and figure out how to read the zone. The problem is it's not really like an Iowa zone where it can be really suffocating and can be really difficult for a quarterback to read. There's plenty of guys open. And the thing that is really concerning is the amount of busts that go for 70 yards and the the touchdown they gave up to Maryland right at the end of the first half. It was like first and 25 or something. And they gave up like a 75 yard touchdown. I mean, it, <laughs> and the safety was nowhere to be found and the corner had to be running from way far away as the guy dragged him into the end zone. But that stuff happens way too much. I mean, they got torched by Trey Palmer, which, okay, you know, he's a good player, but it was really bad. I think he was in the 230 yard range in that game, a couple touchdowns. And then the numbers uh, against Petrus and Graham Mertz are, are very concerning. <laughs> they, uh, their completion percentages for the quarterbacks are lower than you might expect. And I think that speaks to some degree of the deception that they can get out of their cover two shell. But when it breaks, it breaks. And that's one of the issues here. Now, I think in general, JJ will probably be working underneath because some of that stuff will be open. But I expect there to be one or two long passes for Michigan in this game because they just have that issue that it's just not well drilled enough, not well coordinated enough to prevent some major, major problems from, from popping up. Well, yeah. the You guys remember the DC for this team. Ron English is in yep, charge. Ron team. English. Yeah. So I, Michigan fans remember Ron English's defense. Um, and that was with much better talent until he went Johnny Sears on us. But like that, they, he's still running the same kind of stuff there. And like, and that was, you know, it's a very familiar style of breaking, right? Where like this, Michigan's used to have that uh, that cover two that would shift down and like have the cornerback have to, like leave him out an island and then the cornerback would just forget where he is or something and boom. So I, <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like. And the other thing is they're not good at tackling, right? Like I, that's that. Yeah, 
Because last night That's I showed you, thing. like, Michigan was, like, number one in tackling the PFF this year. And I'm like, oh, look at this. We're number one in the country. And he's like, okay, uh, where's Purdue ranked in that? I'm like, yeah, they're, like, 30th. He's like, okay, I don't believe your stat because they suck. Yeah, it's – and, look, PFF is grading every play and stuff like that. But, I mean, I, it's been in my brain since I watched that Penn State game to start the season where they gave up two touchdown catches in which there was at least one just embarrassing. Oh, the Brenton Strange one. Broken t- the Brenton Strange <laughs> one is just atrocious. Yeah. But they, they have this yeah. thing where the DBs, they just love to go for the big hit, right? Going to just come in and drill this guy. And then they hit him, and he bounces off them and just keeps running. And, like, they don't – try and wrap the guy up it's very frustrating to watch and there's just some stuff here that's it's pretty sloppy and and it makes it go from bad to worse right when you already have these busts and then the bust happens and you go to tackle the guy and you can't tackle him it it only makes your problems problems worse and their uh run defense started the year fairly decently good performance against penn state syracuse minnesota and maryland uh minnesota was without mo ibrahim should be noted uh, five of the last six games, um, their performances has been rough. So they gave up 5.3 yards of carry to Nebraska, 6.1 to this year's Wisconsin team, 5.3 to Iowa, 3.6 to Northwestern, which is really bad because it's Northwestern, and then 4.9 to Indiana. And then strangely enough, the only good performance in there relative to talent level is you know, 3.1 yards to Illinois. And they chase Brown manages to get over a hundred yards in that that game, but it takes him twenty eight carries, and he averages four point three a pop. Uh, so I'm not sure that that's anything except maybe some bad luck because you know Iowa and Wisconsin are both under center rushing offenses. They're very different, of course. Wisconsin is more gap, and Iowa is more zone. But both those teams essentially rip. Uh, this rush defense and the Illinois really stands out as an outlier in the back half of the season. Yeah, that that Illinois game, it was it was kind of cold and gusty. It wasn't the I don't think it was not the weekend of the Ohio State Northwestern game where the entire Midwest was attacked by inclement weather. But it was it was not like the best passing conditions. And so I think that maybe they were allowed to stack the box against more because they didn't respect uh, Illinois' ability to throw it. But uh, one thing I do want to I want to just point out about that Northwestern game before we plug along onto the, the run defense properly, they gave up 4.8 yards per rush to Evan Hall in that game. Northwestern started a guy by the name of Cole Freeman at quarterback, who I have never heard of in my life before I – was looking this team up he has zero touchdowns and five interceptions this season at under 50 percent completion at 4.0 yards per attempt so that guy was playing quarterback and they gave up 4.8 yards per rush to evan hall so just gonna put that out there (laughs) and uh in terms of, of of the personnel here the defensive tackles are are okay they're not uh the nebraska catastrophe but when i watched uh maryland you know, double some of these guys and put them four yards downfield. I'm kind of like, well, I feel like Michigan can probably do that. And the linebackers have kind of been a revolving door this year. They've got four different guys. I saw the two that are currently backups against Maryland, but I think the starters were either injured or, or backups at that point. And then they kind of shuffled the duck chairs a little bit. So those guys have had some issues finding the holes, recognizing where to be. And that kind of makes things go from bad to worse. Uh, I just 
don't really believe that they'll be able to to stop Michigan's running game consistently unless they're putting 10 in the box, right? And just <laughs> trying to go crazy. And that's, what Michigan, that's not who they are, right? That's, that's not who they are, no. They like to drop seven and eight into coverage, generally speaking. So uh, it's hard. It, I don't really foresee that uh, that happening. And, and if it doesn't, then these defensive tackles probably are not going to hold up very consistently against Michigan's double teams that we've seen hammer much better defensive tackles. And yeah. that's kind of the story with this defense is that I, I, there isn't any part of it that just screams, and this is what you got to do, but every aspect here, pass rush, pass defense, rush defense, every one of them, I look at it, I'm like, yeah, it's not really much to be concerned about here either. There's plenty of vulnerabilities and an offense like Michigan's should be able to, to kind of have their way here. I mean, Indiana last week uh, gained a lot of yards on the ground, even after Connor Basilak <laughs> was reinserted into the game and they, and they didn't have that running quarterback anymore. So it, it's Purdue's been up and down this year. And I think that's an important overarching thing. They play a lot of close games and that's kind of the thing that I've been hanging on a little bit like, uh, you know, they, they play teams close, but at the same time, there's really nothing about with this team and the defense, especially that scares me whatsoever. I wanted to point out something about the defensive line real quick is that number one, Branson Dean's been hurt for the like mm-hmm. end of the season. And so the guy that, I mean, he was in the rotation, they had a rotate, a three man rotation. And one of the guys that is basically now starting at nose is Suleiman Kapaka, who is 280 pounds and the guy you're talking about who's getting blown off the ball against Maryland. Um, Illinois uh, had a little bit uh, harder time getting at him because what they just they threw a whole bunch of like very large defensive ends out there. And I think that's who they're starting in the chart too. They got Jack Sullivan who's 275 and Kydron Jenkins who's 270 and a short guy. So like he looks more like a defensive tackle even though he's playing a hybrid linebacker Leo position technically. Um, off the weak side end. So, like, that's – they don't go, get a lot of pass rush from those guys. I think they pull them off. They got a true freshman, Nick Carraway, who's, I think, the only four-star on the defense that really sees much playing time. And, like, that's the guy they try to rush with. And I, that's that's who these guys are. And I think that they're – because they're heavy. And what what's Illinois like to do? They like to bash those guys out of the way and, and run off your edges. Um, or, you know, run – the way that Michigan does. They run power out, out in that gap. So I think they had a little trouble moving those guys, and that might have bogged them down a bit. All right. Uh, special teams. Purdue is not good in this department. Their kicker is 2-7 on field goals of longer than 40 yards this year. <clears throat> Only attempted two all of last year. So that looks to be a, a pretty big limitation for him. And uh, FEI, which is my favored uh, special teams evaluation tool, has them 47th in the country as a punting unit, but they're second to last in uh, net uh, punting overall. So they're like 35 yards a pop. I'm not exactly sure how that number adds up on FEI, but it's not because all he's doing is pooch punting because he's got 12 inside the 20 this year and five touchbacks. So that ratio is not very good. Whatever uh, field position, uh, battle happens in this game. Looks like it should be advantage Michigan. Uh, none of their return units have done anything this year either. Uh, Charlie Jones returns the punt, so he might have a little bit of a um, juice in him. But as we discussed, he's a good athlete, good player, but not um, electric in that way. So feels like the 17-point spread might even be a little light according to fancy stats, although 
uh, the fancy stats don't know about Blake Horum. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, are we feeling anything different than this is probably just going to be a walkover? Not, not really. I, the one stat that I have seen this week, Purdue is 3-0 under Jeff Brom against top five teams. They famously boat raced Ohio State back in 2018, and then they slayed two of the phoniest top five teams of all time last <laughs> season, Iowa and then Michigan State in the same year. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, that that stat might not be as impressive as it looks when you when you look under the hood, but... I think they're a well-coached team overall. I think, you know, given Purdue and what they were for 10 years, basically before Brom got there, they'll, they'll do some things and like, they'll make it interesting for a little while, I think. But in the end, there's not a lot here that, that scares me. The only thing I will say to, to close this out is I'm kind of thankful they exist because they're such not a big 10 team, right? Like they have a competent quarterback they throw the ball a lot. They don't have very good special teams. They're they're very odd compared to what we've looked at this year. They don't elicit a lot of feeling from me, but uh, I'm glad it's them and not Iowa. And, yeah, I, I think every Michigan fan was watching that <laughs> Nebraska game and like, come on, Cornhuskers. <laughs> and then like, and then I didn't want Illinois because I think Illinois is better than this team, mm-hmm. especially to play Michigan. So Purdue's team we haven't played. They're much more interesting than Iowa by virtue of not being Iowa. Uh, and it'll be it'll be nice to face off against them. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and take a look back at the Ohio State game. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. 
It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for returning licensees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. And the dreams I had when I was too young To notice that they're never coming true Welcome back to a Big Ten Championship edition of MGO Radio. We're now going to take a look back at the Ohio State game because that sounds like it's fun to do. <laughs> we'll start with the offense, which I charted, and I want to talk about the sort of meme going around about how Michigan's performance uh, is not replicable. And if the two teams played again, you'd see Ohio State favorable. I mean, the discussion there is about success rates for Michigan and Ohio State versus Michigan's explosives. And <clears throat> to me, this is an analytics. Well, it's it's two things. It's Ohio State fans trying to rationalize anything. Right. About the game. <laughs> you only and had the, a few big plays. Ah! If, you, if you take out the five long touchdowns. Uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln. Um, <laughs> but the analytics people, I think, are just sort of missing the the forest for the trees here because – you know, in a football game that's sort of in the middle of the distribution of aggression, it is true that if you have a bunch of explosives and the other team has a bunch of successful plays, that you probably lucked out. But this was not that, right? This was a team that was playing cover zero on, I think, a quarter to a third of their snaps. <clears throat> and it was very clear that they were trusting their scout. By that, I mean they saw what Michigan's tendencies were, and they were guessing. So you see these run plays where guys are just tearing across the line of scrimmage before they actually know whether it's a run or not. And the it's actually not the long touchdowns that are the best example. Of that. The best example of that is the pop pass from Mullings, where when the handoff is made, all 11 Ohio State players are already committed to the line of scrimmage. So if that is just regular play action it's a walk-in touchdown and that was a theme of the day it didn't happen on every snap but there were just a number of snaps where ohio state was not going to read it right they weren't going to read and react yeah they were just going to attack and when it worked michigan got stuffed up and it worked for much of the first half but when it didn't work well you saw what happened and the kind of plays that michigan was getting weren't like Marshawn Lynch slaloming through an entire secondary. It was one missed tackle for Cornelius Johnson, and then two guys who are more wide open than, <laughs> than it is should be possible in an Ohio State game. And one thing that I came away with is from this is that this secondary is not good. There's no Devin Witherspoon on it. There's no safeties of note. Uh, Lathan oh. Ransom had one of the worst games I've I've ever seen from a safety hypothetical Ohio State UFR guy is putting him in the negative double digits easy mm -hmm. and <clears throat> so you prepared all year for this 
and you're like, this, what happened last year isn't going to happen. And you didn't even look at what your team was good at. You didn't even look at what you were capable of. You didn't even deviate from a three safety look, a four, two, five. That was your standard look. So you didn't, your plan B, what was your plan B? Like, cause you see other teams come in and they're like, all right, well, we're going to stuff up this front. We're going to put more defense alignment in there so we can't get duoed. Ohio State didn't change anything mm-hmm. about their approach. They just got completely over their skis in what they were doing. Well, because the then, success rate was convincing them that it was all right to do it. Right. And so, you I mean, I remember the first one, there's a bunch of Ohio State fans on Twitter who are like, I really don't like zero blitzing there <laughs> because the offense hasn't been doing anything. But it's like, well, why hasn't the offense been doing anything? Well, one, uh, <laughs> extreme aggression and two Michigan is missing opportunities. Mm -hmm. So there were two opportunities on Michigan's second drive where CJ Stokes is in and the first play he gets tripped up in a way that I just don't think Blake Corm's getting tripped up. And then all he's got to do is beat a a cornerback and he's off to the races. And then the second one, there's a huge cutback land, which I think is designed. And uh, that's one-on-one with a safety. Michigan misses both of those. So it's not like Michigan went five for five on big plays. Yeah. Right. There were a number of other opportunities. There's a, a missed the, uh, what was it? The uh, <clears throat> intentional grounding play. Honigford mm-hmm. screws up a block. And so there's a blitzer in JJ's face when he turns around. If that block doesn't get screwed up, you have a guy with inside leverage running a post against zero again. Yeah. So what are the chances? That's a touchdown pretty decent so there are a lot of issues that michigan had that prevented them from exploiting this even more and some of that is because aggression is going to get you sometimes but i think if you replay this game with the same attitude from ohio state you're probably going to get the same result and maybe michigan isn't up three scores but they win the game if you hold ohio state to 23 points so and the other thing is that ohio state's success rate is phony in this game because they're the number 112 team in the country at converting short, third and short on the ground. Mm-hmm. So success rate math doesn't work if that's the case. Because it, it assumes that a third and two is a third and two. But for Ohio State, a third and two is third and six. Well, so yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get, we'll get into the defensive side. But, I mean, just what they're talking about with success rate is, look, no team's going to be so dumb that they're going to spend a third of their game in cover zero. Because you're just get, you're all you're doing is you're asking for it, right? You're 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 giving the other team eight to ten opportunities during the game to score a touchdown from whatever spot in the field they are when you play yeah. that way. And if they hit on half of them, that's five touchdowns. If they hit on seven of them, you're getting completely blown out. The likelihood, I mean, it's a interesting strategy if you go in. If Ohio State said, look. There's no way we're going to stop this Michigan offense. They're going to churn away. They're going to only give us a few uh, drives down the field. If we want to extend the game and have any chance of stopping these guys, we need to stuff them up. We need to just – and maybe that will get them upset and maybe we'll get a lead or maybe you know we'll have a run. And they kind of did. Like It was a little surprising to get that much pressure early on. But we've talked for years about blitzball linebackers, right? Guys who just uh-huh. stuff themselves into the line, and we – we give those guys negatives if they're even if they're in their gap technically because they're not there to help out. So people are thinking we're talking about safeties coming down only, but their linebacker play was 
hyper aggressive for um well they really I mean, they did pick be. they picked their spots like mm-hmm. it wasn't always hyper aggressive i mean the first play i mean they're sitting back in a seven man zone cuz michigan throws on the first play every time right <laughs> <laughs> so but when they thought the down and distance and the formation indicated it was a run they didn't read it out it wasn't like they were biased towards it, the fact that it was running and then they could they could fix it if it wasn't they were totally boned um right. And then Michigan just comes out, and we'll get into the players a little bit more now. And JJ is clearly amped. Mm-hmm. He's overthrowing everything. He's just making throws that aren't the throws that we usually see from JJ McCarthy. So the first quarter, Michigan doesn't really have good answers because when someone is being hyper aggressive, the answers are to throw a ball, and their quarterback is just you know hopped up on goofballs. So he's overthrowing. Was it the second drive? I think where he overthrows Johnson Bell on, on well, I don't Bell remember who it was, yeah. but it's, it's third and five. It's an easy conversion and he just airmails it. And I'm like, yeah. Oh. yeah. Like, Oh God, here we go. Um, but after the first quarter, he settles down and we don't get a ton of opportunities for him because they're scoring touchdowns so fast. But the thing that's that we saw from McCarthy in this game is one, his deep ball changed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was less on a line than it was earlier this year. And I think part of that is just how open everybody was. But <clears throat> on the pass interference that he picked up on the deep ball, that's the same thing. And that guy actually has some coverage coming to him. So I think that was a necessary change. And it's something they may have worked on pretty much all week because without those, this, this game doesn't happen. And um, the other thing is that they had to read out a lot of plays in the second half. And I think he got it right. Almost every time there were a couple comments um, about something I might've missed uh, a couple plays here and there, mm-hmm. but uh, I had him seven for seven. And even if there were a couple plays for that, he missed seven for nine is pretty good. And he got a plus two for the 19 yard run. Cause JTT is in pretty good position. It is not an obvious pull. And he feels that the guy is, is cheating and he's right. <clears throat> And we had a knockdown, drag out argument about this during the Shea Patterson era, right? Because guys, <laughs> guys would form up, and then he'd hand the ball off, and then they were still cheating to the back. And I was like, you can't always give the ball if someone is vaguely uh, in position and square. So I was, I was really encouraged to see that. I enjoyed the fact that on his scramble, he dove forward, (laughs) (laughs) which not only is safer, it also gets you more yards because they don't, they, if you start a baseball slide, it's over as soon as you start it. So you're giving up three or four or five yards every time you initiate your brand. Now people, when when he, when he dives forward, like the, the people around me who are, you know, I'm go blog readers are like, Oh, Brian's going to be so happy. He he jumped forward. Well, the I think the other thing that's probably my brand now is that running your quarterback equals running back explosives. Yes, and those two touchdowns at the end from uh, Donovan Edwards are both great examples of that. Because on the first one, there is a deep safety, but mm-hmm. they spend their extra guy in the box on JJ McCarthy. So once he creases, there's no second level and there's no free hitter. And one of the things that OSU did much better in the first half is deliver free hitters to running backs at or near the line of scrimmage. Yeah of their super aggression and really the only way to counteract that on a consistent basis is to make sure that you got to check the quarterback and the second one ransom who again had the worst safety game i've ever seen 
checks up on MacArthur, even though that's not his job. Right. So they do right. a, Don, they a, do a Don exchange. Brown blitz. <laughs> it wasn't a scrape exchange. It was a Don Brown play. Yeah. Where they're, where they're shooting two guys off the edge, and one of them's got the back, and one of them's got the, the quarterback. And so if you actually run a mesh point, that delay just gets it killed. Mm-hmm. Now, Michigan isn't running a mesh point, so there's a decent chance that uh, Edwards is going to be able to step through a diving ankle tackle if, if Ransom does commit to him. But he doesn't. He checks up on McCarthy and then, you know, see ya because yeah. there's nobody back on that one. So <clears throat> it is uh, simply, <laughs> I think, unquestionable at this point that when J.J. McCarthy is a threat as a runner, that's when you get 418 yards against Penn State. That's that kind of day. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope to God that every single quarterback that Michigan has from now on has that in his wheelhouse right all the guys they've been recruiting have been yeah and like jim harbaugh has a pattern of doing this right like he had a mobile guy at uh, san francisco he had a mobile guy at stanford he had a mobile guy at at san diego and he tried here Mm -hmm. but until jj mccarthy kind of stepped into the lineup like the most mobile guy he had was patterson and patterson just didn't want to keep the ball yeah and mccarthy is definitely not that so finally have um, that kind of upside from your quarterback. And, he, and the thing about McCarthy is he's fast. He's not like, I'm going to rip off 15 yards fast. He's like, I can score this fast. And I think that really helps when it comes to deforming a defense too. So um, came out, I think, plus seven in RPS. And your your mileage may vary there because you know once you get games like this, the RPS scale really only goes up to plus three. <laughs> and like on the last one, if if Ransom does his job and manages to get Edwards down, that RPS might flip from like plus two to minus two. But if you induce an error from a defensive player with your play calling from earlier in the game, I'm going to give credit for that because mm-hmm. that's something that, I mean, players are human. And one of the worst things that you see in, in uh, post-game analysis is just talking about, well, they didn't execute. Well, yeah, they didn't execute. They're they're college kids. They're they're kids and co- you have to bake this, that in. This is your old your... argument with like with other people who didn't who, who do some analysis on Michigan all the time. Where like the coach well, guys are like, yeah, here's here's what that kid is supposed to do, and you're like, well, yeah, co- the college yeah. kids, you have to give them certain instructions. They have they they've practiced over certain looks, and then if you hit them with something a couple times, they're going to start reacting to it. And then if you use yeah. that reaction, then yeah, that's, that's an RPS. Yeah. So uh, blocking was interesting. I yeah. thought that Barnhart had a kind of a tough day, ended up slightly negative, And of course we want a two to one positive ratio for our blocking, but everybody else on the line won, hmm. which was really interesting to me because you look at that game and you're like, well, they couldn't really run the ball. And it turns out that almost none of that was like some sort of, oh, Michigan's blocking evaporated when they met a really good team. That did not happen. Michigan's blocking was just as good as it has been most of the season, and then free hitters, some issues with Stokes, and then a lack of reps because Michigan kept scoring long touchdowns, (laughs) kept those scores down. What did happen is trying to run a split zone block with either uh, Max Bredesen or Colson Loveland on a 270-pound Ohio State defensive end didn't go very well. So they came in for some pretty big numbers, uh, negatives at tight end. 
would have been pretty useful to have Schoonmaker 100%. I don't know if he was. Yeah. Um, kind of felt like if he was, he would have been in on some other plays where he's a much better, he's got a much better shot of getting a productive block there. Um, <clears throat> or Eric Alla, for that matter. That was his jam. Yeah. That, that, that block was his, was his thing. Um, and then Loveland um, had some positive moments as a blocker, but still as a 218 pound guy. And I watched uh, Ohio State video like two dudes reacting to the game when he scored a touchdown. They're like, was that a receiver? <laughs> so whatever blocking you're getting from him at this point is a huge bonus. Sure. And I don't even know how much you want to beef him up. Like if what you're getting from him right now is good enough as, as a blocker, I think you got to just keep him pretty much at the weight he's at maybe another five or 10 pounds because his ability to run by guys as a tight end is outstanding and he's going to be like a major piece mm -hmm. for the next couple years. Um, <clears throat> so pretty good game. I thought it was a nice, good game that I liked. Um, <laughs> was, was, Oh, cause I, I suggested this in next Sharpies was the uh, Zinter slash Olatimi block on the 75 yard touchdown, the block of the year. Uh, that was the 85 yarder. Oh, the 85 yarder. Yeah. The 85 yarder. Um, because I think in I mean, terms kind of, of linebackers, right? Or no, the I other think one was linebackers. In, the other one was linebackers. Yeah. The the other one, the eighty five yard one is Taron Vincent. Taron Vincent, and then a linebacker comes and Zinter gets him after. Yeah, yeah. And you know, is it the best block of the year? Probably not. It's probably Oluwatimi against Hawaii. Uh huh. But in terms of like what the block of the year should be. <laughs> is it the most important block of the year? Also, no. Is it the most emblematic block of the year? Yes. Okay. Because this year was those two guys setting an expectation for the opposition that if we put defensive tackle here and these guys double him, he's going to die. Mm -hmm. And the dive play that was their pretty much go-to short yardage play, that's those guys. Mm -hmm. And... You know, for them to move Taron Vincent, who I was more impressed with than uh, Alex was, um, just even on that play, I don't think hardly anyone even gets a arm tackle attempt in there. Hmm. He took a huge hit. He's off balance. He's able to fight back and almost get back to that gap. That's almost a superhero play there. And for those guys to crease him and then Zinter immediately pops off on the linebacker, 85 yards to the house, see ya. All right, block of the year. Right there. Thank you. All right, we're going to come back. Take a break. Talk about the defense. Yay! ...at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans. But I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us. PeakWM.com slash Blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. 
The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle, whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Welcome back to a special Big Ten Championship edition of MGO Radio. We now turn to the Ohio State performance of the defense. Hold the Buckeyes to 23 points. Uh, Just one touchdown after scripted drive time, and that is a pinpoint bomb to Marvin Harrison Jr. That's probably just going to happen at least once in every game you play. Right. Uh, other other than that, and a really incredible back shoulder uh, catch on the first drive, Harrison has kept relatively quiet. Now, Michigan is allowing Ohio State to hit a bunch of underneath stuff, but it kind of felt like they were dropping – seven in a coverage and whatever they were presenting Ohio state was really confusing CJ Stroud. Does that check out? Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't been able to get through the entire game yet. Cause I had a family sickness that as soon as I was done with it and went through my entire family. So I got to be on that, but um, I got enough of the game to kind of understand what Michigan was doing. I basically, I think that Ohio state planned for Michigan to be blitzing like crazy. Right, like that's what we've been we've been talking about it. We've been, the, when they hired Jesse Minner, oh, they're gonna go, you know, amoeba, right? They're gonna be this Ravens defense that just brings pressures from all different angles and like uses the safeties and everything like that. And Michigan's like, no, we're we're just gonna kind of slowly pass rush at you, 
and they had a lot of a lot of times they dropped the safeties into um over the receivers on the outside and then the, the cornerbacks kind of play safety right so like they almost swapped who gets what position so what i saw a couple times is uh harrison fights to get position on um turner and turner's just like sure sure go ahead you got the inside that's all yours and he's like okay he turns around and there's more running next to him he's like oh okay well i guess i don't have that anymore so they they had a plan to basically use the safeties to turn off outside receivers just gashing them right and there was only one time they really broke that i'm still looking at that one i was the, the play i was on when i had to stop but uh whether the same or still bust actually was a safety was supposed to get on top of it. Normally not, but the way that Michigan was playing, they were bracketing those kinds of things all the time, and maybe Sainer still he's supposed to <coughs> still supposed to play it closer. But I think maybe a safety was supposed to come and help him there. Uh, and they just weren't bothering wasting those guys in the pass rush. The other thing they were doing was using Colson as uh, as a safety almost. So if somebody leaves the backfield, because uh, or, or or sometimes even on a receiver. Colson would just run with that guy, and then he's got a you know a safety to help him, and he had the speed amazingly to keep up with these five star dudes that Ohio State's running. He's running with a Buka one time. I was like, wow. So th- their plan this time was they're just not going to beat us uh, with the pass, and Ohio State ran really well because Michigan was not really focused on the run. Right, they're leaving the safeties back. They're committing so much to the pass. Uh, if a running back goes, uh, even motions outside, all of a sudden a safety a linebacker would step back instead of step forward. So they didn't have those huge gashes that Michigan usually gives up where, like, you go play action and the linebackers just race down. They got them to come down a couple times, but that was about it. Um, and then, you know, some guys just made plays. Uh, it was a plus three, by the way, if you're wondering what's what the same still PBU was going to be. I... Felt like it was a plus four. I was trying to talk myself <laughs> into a plus four because it's <clears throat> a play that everyone's going to remember anyway. Um, but plus three was was fine for that, and his score is going to be monstrous. I I we never charted Woodson in this system, so we're never. I don't know if we've had anyone <laughs> come up with a because if you're playing if you're not playing the slot, you don't have as many opportunities. And yeah. And last year, teams didn't really go at Dax Hill because that's not the spot you really want to attack at Michigan's defense. Um, everyone would have their like one play a game where they'd be like, I'm going to try Dax Hill, and it just would not work out for them. And, you know, that's where Ohio State wanted to live was over Samer still, and they, they got him the one time, right? They got the, uh, the one, I think, 40-yard uh, pass over him, and that was it. Uh, and it was really, you know, when I went down and did the drive chart, it was a lot better than – than I thought because like the the first drive right it's it's scripted they um are doing some brilliant things with the run they really nailed us on one which should have been a touchdown and Samer still saved it he comes inside a tight end and and gets this guy down um but that one has runs of 6 18 3 7 12 and then the and then a one yard run at the end and then after that one yard run they passed the rest of the drive and they were close enough to the end zone at that point where you know they that's they get a touchdown on the pass. The next drive, 10 plays, 58 yards, the the field goal one. Mostly it's on that face mask on Colson, which he actually didn't get his face mask, but I could see why they that's, called it. <laughs> like, that's, that is a call. That, yeah. Like, yeah. 
Because like, <laughs> he, he gets his hand on the helmet and the, and the head whips brown. So that, that's always going to be a call, even if his hand's not in the face mask. Um, but also they had runs of eight, five, uh, two yards, three yards on third and three where Mayan Williams was stuffed and then he actually gets over. And then they get stuffed and then they don't run again. And they go through, they pass, 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 and they go, and Michigan makes them kick a field goal. And that was kind of the theme. Like, whenever they had an unsuccessful run, something just goes off in Ryan Day's brain, and he won't run again. Well, so the thing, like, we talked about their third down conversion stuff, especially third and short. And their first drive, they convert a couple of third and ones and a third and four. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the game, they get eight third and five or fewers. They convert one of them. and Five of those are passes, and one of them is the outside pitch mm-hmm. to uh, train them. And <laughs> it's just like, so you you successfully converted a couple, and then the rest of the game, you get into third, and we could run the ball. Yeah. And you essentially have two opportunities, to actually run some sort of power run twice, and six of it is finesse stuff, and you get one of them one of the power run opportunities for Mayan Williams. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> it's worse. It's worse than that because I mean, the, the first third and one, they get a six yard gain from Mayan Williams, just breaking a tackle and running over linebacker. The next one, he gets stuffed on third and three. He actually oh, had him behind right. the line. And then he like churns his way over and gets those uh-huh. two yards. The other one's the third and five. He gets stuffed after one yard. He makes two more yards himself and gets it down to fourth and two, and they pass on the fourth and two. But, like, getting down there, he set them up for a a makeable fourth and two, and everyone, I think, at that point believes, like, okay, this guy just got three yards on his own. He'll get another two easily. Um, And, yeah, then the other one, that that toss was a play off of their power game that they installed for us, and they they were trying to, like, you know, they were, hey, we're going to run the Illinois play. Uh, and that play was successful for them most of the game because they would end up getting a linebacker and train them, and then you just kind of run them over. But that was supposed to be a counter to that, right? Because they always had that guy, that running back, stepping out while they set up the blocking. And this time they were like, okay, we're going to step him out and have him run out the backside, and Michigan was ready for it. And that scared them off from ever running again on third and short. So the next third and short is a third and three. Um, that's the screen that McGregor almost picks off. Okay, the next third uh, makeable they have, they throw a fade to Stover that Samer still breaks up, and that's the game. Like they, their their third down decisions, um, and the only time it like the two times it worked out, they threw the touchdown to Egbuka, and the other time was when they threw that ball to Marvin Harris and he catches with one hand, which is a low percentage play on a third and three. Like yeah. I mean, for anyone except Marvin Harrison, right? So if if you want to do that, Ohio State, just advice, um, just throw to Marvin Harrison and you'll be fine. But like that should have been the play instead of, you know, what they were doing, which was trying to set up all these screens. Um, there was another one. They had a third and four, and they uh, they uh, try to hit a slant, and that was the one that uh, Gregor uh, backs into, and Bust, it was like, yeah, yeah, but like. That's a that's a third and, and that's a running play. Well, that's a running down. If Michigan is dropping their defensive end into your pass, into your slant on a running down, they've got you nailed. All right, so you you don't have uh, grades yet, um, mm-hmm. uh, but is anyone's performance 
sort of standing out as you uh, well, work your way through the tape? Other than Sainer still. Obviously Sainer still. Um, Moore is a little more up and down. Uh, uh, Turner is uh, – whenever he's on screen, I'm trying to just look and see what's going on because he was getting a lot of uh, Harrison, and he mostly held up, but there were a couple times where he probably could have given something up and uh, they missed him or they, they overthrew it. It's a little weird because they're – Sitting there, a lot of times you're just sitting there watching the quarterback bob up and down because Michigan was really good at taking away his first read. So it, I think there's going to be a lot of RPS in this one. I think Minter's going to come out pretty strong. Um, it was a little bit too much to have uh, Mayan Williams and uh, Trainum, who, God, how come that guy wasn't a running back all year? Uh, but you oh, know, I didn't think they'd need him, right? Like... Yeah. Uh, but, but like when, when those guys would meet our linebackers – our linebackers were moved um, and kind of got away with that. I think that uh, on the edge, Jalen Harrell held up. I, I think he's going to have one of his be- one of his better games. And Oki, very late, was actually winning a lot of pass rushes, which was – I was surprised that I was going to see any um, – I, I came out of the game thinking, like, oh, we're going to have, like, a pass rush of zero in this game. And uh, I, I jumped around because I was so late doing it. I was like, I want to get – some fourth quarter so I did one fourth quarter drive and it's like oh there's Oki oh there's Oki so he actually beats Paris Johnson a couple times so I'm interested to see how the rest of the game will shake out for him yeah I mean he we did see a little bit of pass rush from the tackles too they both had a couple of rushes that were Mm -hmm. uh of note yeah they were mostly shut off it was interesting like if Michigan was if a Michigan guy was going to get a pass rush he got in the first couple seconds and after that they were just like just not, I'm not going anywhere, right? I'm just going to stay here, and someone else can kind of close him in. Um, but, yeah, I, Ohio State was not looking, and this goes back to the strategy of the game. They thought, I swear, because they were leaving guys back, they were uh, or having running backs kind of look around and then release. I swear that their plan for this game was Michigan sending safeties, Michigan bringing five, and – carving them up that way they were not expecting michigan to just kind of sit back and play conservative against them all right anything else uh i i once again like the the drive chart uh i'm gonna i'm just gonna have a field day with this because the last the, the last drives after um the uh was it the last basically after they, after they shut off their runs uh they go four and out six plays and 41 yards which is just the um Really, the one play, the one touchdown throw. Then it's a three and out, five and out, three and out, three and out, uh, seven play, 52 yard field goal. And then the last two are the clock drives where it's more about, you know, Michigan's just sitting back. And mm-hmm. most of their yards in the second half come from those two drives, other than like, I think they had 52 yards that don't come out of, the, out of those drives. So it's like Michigan shut them down way, uh, way better than we realized. And Alex, well done on the scout, telling you know, saying that like <laughs> Ryan Day is going to turtle on on third downs because that was Michigan's strategy, and it was a weird, it was a terrifying strategy because like we getting the third and four, and we're like, oh no, they're going to keep on moving the ball, and like no, third and four might as well be third and nine. All right, well we're going to take a break, come back, and uh, have a bit of a uh, shoot around, poop platter sort of <laughs> lightning round segment. All right, All right. see ya. 
If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, and you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com. That's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E lending.com slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me. Kind of an annual tradition. Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue. Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. And I know that the same happens to me Welcome back to a special Big Ten Championship game edition of MGO Radio. We kind of forgot to do this earlier, so we would like to thank our sponsors. Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. UGP makes custom apparel such as T-shirts and sweatshirts and was founded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago. They have three retail 
They have three retail locations in Ann Arbor and offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale, ranging from clothing to accessories, sex, geez. This is why we didn't. Accessories <laughs> and we memorabilia. <laughs> check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com or check out our selection of shirts at MGOBlogStore.com. We'd like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Home Sure Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, Signal Wire, where we're doing this right now. All right. By so the way, Michigan, that was Trace Crow we were listening to for the music, who is my best friend. So if you want to be my best friend for 25 years, you too can be on the MGO podcast. Michigan has a pretty big opportunity to score a win against Virginia, and they just can't get over the line. Still fairly encouraging game overall. They shoot 42% from three, 60% inside the arc. Uh, some defensive breakdowns late and uh, inability to contain Reese Beekman inside the arc uh, eventually doom Michigan. Um, Virginia's a real good team, and we know that this team has some defensive issues, but uh, seeing Llewellyn hit a couple of threes was good, and uh, it just feels like maybe they can put it together a little bit. I mean, this is a team that is starting four new guys who uh, didn't have starters roles last year, need to have a little bit of time to put some things together. Yeah, I remember after the game, a lot of people were kind of like, eh, good performance against Virginia. You know, what are, we, what are we so mad about? And it's like, well, it's a moral victory in keeping it close, but it was also a chance for a real victory, right? Yeah. And that was kind of what was very frustrating because that's the truth is that you go into the – as the season rolls along, you're going to want games on your resume. And this was definitely a chance to have a marquee victory on the resume. And it it uh, it was there for the taking. They were leading by six with ten minutes to go. They were up one with the ball with a minute left. It, just a couple of things faltered down the stretch, and that was pretty frustrating. But, you know, the good news is there are still more chances for this team, right? And, and Kentucky's coming up on uh, Sunday, and then North Carolina also in the month of December. So, they just need to kind of build on that. We've seen such hot and cold performances this year, right? The The opener was a, a pretty solid showing against a, a bad team. Then you have a kind of concerning game against EMU, and then you come back and you hammer Pitt, and then a very concerning game against Arizona State. So it's a matter of can this team find some consistency? And, and remember last year where there was that stretch of like about 15 games where they won one, lost one, won one, lost mm-hmm. one, and it kind of just feels like we're back, we're back there already. I- I, I feel the reason I was upset about it is because I felt like this was more kind of our peak performance. Like, I think that the the shooting is going to be the shooting, right? And 43% from three is a good night for this team. Um, and then their defensive effort, like, you're, you've got some guys out there who are um, who are coming along, and you have other guys out there who would star who they are, right? So you're not going to get uh, – Dickinson to go any faster. You're not going to get Williams to like be more athletic. That's just who those guys are. And it was like this is a night where we were we had the offense to like just to we peaked. I thought that was like a good performance from Michigan, and we wanted to get a win out of that thing. Well, you know, it's they just couldn't contain dribble penetration, and it's a situation where I think Buffkin's kind of coming along here. I think Howard is improving. Uh, he at least flashing the ability to be decent defensively, but it's very much a work in progress. And then you go to the bench and uh, Doug McDaniel's not a good defender right now. Joy Baker probably isn't either. Uh, 
So at pretty much all times, you've got someone on the court who is just not quite there in terms of containing dribble penetration, and then you're in scramble mode. So hopefully they can get some things right against Kentucky because they need one of these two games. They need one of the Kentucky or UNC games where their best non-conference win is going to be Pitt or possibly Fort Wayne, depending on how bad Pitt is. So they, they need they need one. And uh, this was a major missed opportunity, and it's deeply unfortunate that this game actually turned out the way it was. Hockey faces Wisconsin tonight, uh, coming up at 8 p.m. on Bally Sports Detroit. Wisconsin is terrible, Alex. <laughs> they cannot score. We went into this season, and I remember looking at their stats page. I think they shot 6.4% as a team last season, which is not good generally for hockey shooting percentages in the 10 to 14 range for a team. So I said, look, shooting percentages normally regress to the mean and that's reason for optimism. And unfortunately <laughs> there's been no regression. They are shooting, I think 6.6% as a team this season. Uh, they've played uh, a number of big 10 games and they have not gone very well this season in terms of, of the offense. I think our stat was the other day, let me pull it up, but believe it was zero or one goals in five of six big 10 games they've played this season. So it's a little mystifying. Yeah. It's uh two shutouts, two, three, one goal performances and one, three goal performance in six big 10 games. So they, just, they have some talent on this roster, don't they? Oh, they have some talent. They are probably, you know, definitely the third most talented team in the big 10 behind Michigan and Minnesota. They have, uh, first round pick in course in Kulamans. They have uh, Charlie Strammel, who is a lottery pick projected for the upcoming draft. They have a number of mid round guys. This is very confusing why they are so bad besides Tony Granato being a bad coach. And I think we have enough evidence at this point that that is the case. There are a lot of people in Badgerland who want him gone and Hey, maybe Michigan can fire him like they did Chris Ash with a, a sweep this weekend. Uh, one couple, couple fun notes on Wisconsin. They lost their exhibition to Lakehead, which is a Canadian CIS school. <laughs> and they against, uh, and also a classic Skinamax movie. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they also, I think this was against long Island. It might've been against Linden blood. Either way, they scored an own goal for the second straight year. Um, they, <laughs> this, this time, uh, it was a player in the neutral zone who was trying a behind the back pass with the goalie pulled. I think it was a six on five situation pulling for a delayed penalty and they put it in their own net. And that happened last year too. a pass to the point got a- away and went all the way down the ice and in the empty net. So, that's kind of the the the, uh, the state of Wisconsin hockey right now. There's there is no excuse for Michigan not to get six points this weekend. Uh, finally, the U.S. national team is through into the knockout rounds of the World Cup. One uh, one against Wales, zero zero against England, and a one zero win over Iran. Woo! <laughs> uh, and they've they've looked really good, but they I mean they have not been able to convert a lot of scoring chances. I mean, honestly, the Iran score should have been two nothing at halftime, but mm-hmm. the offsides rule in, in football right now, soccer is completely insane. So because part of Tim Way's torso was offsides, they call it goal back. And it's just like, is this what we really want soccer to be? Cause like, it's so hard to score goals and we're calling them back for that. So I think we're probably going to see a change before the next world cup. In any case, uh, 
Greg Berhalter has made all the right moves in the first halves of games and then stop bringing on Shaq more. <laughs> he's <laughs> But his name good. is Shaq. Come on, it's the most American thing in the in the world. Like, I mean, but other than that, like I don't really Shaq. <laughs> what I think we're seeing is the the US gets tired. Like they just don't have the fitness levels that uh they need to keep up their extremely effective high press in this tournament and they don't have much depth in the midfield because they probably made a mistake bringing a guy like Luca De La Torre who plays in the Dutch league. He's a ball progressor, but he's small and he's not very physical. And I can't imagine him coming off the bench because so when Weston McKinney, who's kind of still recovering from uh, some health issues, hits minute 60 and he's just done Michigan, not Michigan. No, I did it again. <laughs> the, the the U.S. the U.S. Fishing just mile. does doesn't really have someone they can bring on that fits in that spot. And they tried Aronson, and he's not really he's a winger. That's not what he does. So late in the Iran game, they're like, all right, well, we're just going to bunker for the next twenty minutes because there's nine minutes of stoppage time. And at the time this happened, I was like, I don't like this, but I kind of feel that that's the move because they just couldn't keep up their ball possession because everybody was just spent. And I don't really know exactly what to do about that. It's kind of weird because they're one of the younger teams in the tournament. I think they actually are the youngest. Um, Our third youngest, they keep saying on the – yeah. I mean, well, that's teams uh, left, I think they're probably the youngest they, now. They were going to be the youngest, and then they called up Tim Ream, right. which <laughs> which has worked out very, yeah. very well. Um, very brave of Burhalter to do that because – he wants to have a high line and you can't have a high line with Tim Bream. So they had to make a lot of changes on the fly. I think he's done a very good job and I, I'm optimistic for, for the, the Netherlands game. I think they got a good shot at it. Is Pulisic going to be okay? They have cleared him to play. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how, how ready to be to go. He's going to be, I assume he'll start and we might actually see some extended Gio Reyna minutes in this one that everybody has been calling for. Cause I, I would, probably I would expect that Pulisic is not going to be able to go the full 90 here. So he should be good. And then I don't think Sargent's going to start. They're pretty uh, unoptimistic about that. So your choices are Haji Wright and Ferreria. And I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you look at this roster, it's like, you know, Chelsea, Juventus, Lille, Leeds, Lille. and then... <laughs> Leal, sorry. And then the starting guy is in the championship, the starting nine, the starting strikers in the championship. So it's, uh, they're almost there to a, a roster that can compete with teams. Uh, well, they can compete. I mean, compete with England. They're almost there for a roster where it's just like, okay, this this team can do some serious damage. But they just have one or two holes, and they don't have the kind of depth that like a world-class team does. What's the, what's right. the run here that like takes us to... I mean, what are we, what are we looking for to be like? This was like a great World Cup. Like, do we need? I, I, I'm not expecting them to win the whole thing here. So, you know, if they go toe to toe with the Netherlands, like I think that's about all. Like, if it's like eight years ago, and you know, it's Tim Howard saving 15 shots against Belgium. I mean, that really colors everybody, everybody's opinion there. But if if they go toe to toe with another team that's top ten in the world. Yeah, it's a success. And if they get past this and get to Argentina, yeah, it's okay. probably the best World Cup performance ever.
Paris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka, bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. He never drank a single drop. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. This poison he swears to stop. 